Hey, Survivor fans, let's talk about a snack that would take that island by storm. Wonderful pistachios. Wonderful pistachios are the undisputed champions of proteins. They pack a punch, boasting six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. That's over 10% of your daily value. Talk about a powerhouse snack. And let's not forget the lineup. We're talking flavors galore. Sweet chili, salt and pepper, honey roasted. Wonderful pistachios is like a flavor festival for your taste buds. Perfect for tribal gatherings or on-the-go adventures. The no-shells option is a game changer. Just grab and go. It's that easy. So Survivor Squad, if you want to outwit, outplay, outsnack the competition, make Wonderful Pistachios your go-to snack. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. I'm Jeff Probst, the host and showrunner of Survivor. Each week, I'm joined by Jay Wolf, Survivor fan and the producer of this podcast. Hello, Jay. Hey, Jeff. As well as former Survivor great player, Rick Devins. How you doing, Rick? Hey, what's up, Jeff? Each week, we dissect the big moments of the most recent episode of Survivor 45 and bring you insight from the points of view of the fan, the player, and the producer. Let's get into it. Episode 12. We're getting very close to the end. Survivor 45. Which players do you want to highlight this week? Rick, you first. You know, I could talk Jake, Katura, the underdogs, but it seems almost <laughs> mm. too obvious. I got to talk about D. I got to talk about D and Austin. Mm, yeah, for me too. I think it's I think it's really D's world and Austin just happens to be living <laughs> in it. <laughs> you know, it's it is narrowing down to what we talked about at the very beginning of this season, which is it's going to come down to pairs and secrets, mm. and which pairs share which secrets with whom. So let's get into it. Big moments from episode 12. Jay, what stood out to you? I want to start with pairs and secrets. Let's start with the fallout <laughs> from the re-before. So in the recap, we are reminded that Austin didn't play as idol, meaning it's good through tonight. Even though Julie played her idol, I thought Julie would either vote for Jake or for Emily. So I kept holding on to my amulet instead of playing it, and I'm glad that I did. Because my amulet that I have is a full idol, but it's only good until the final six tribal. Meaning, this next tribal council, I need to play it. Jeff, is this the gun in the first act that's going to go off in the third? <laughs> and I'm using a stage metaphor here because the entire episode does seem to focus on the stage the theater and acting acting it's a good reference yeah the the gun that's chekhov right the russian yeah, playwright exactly. in the 1800s he said don't introduce a gun into your show unless you're going to use it and i never thought about it that way but i think you're right austin's idol is the gun and it got <laughs> fired but without the ultimate result at tribal that he was hoping for and it really mm. goes back the blindsided drew if you go back to the last tribal, Julie got all the votes. Austin and Drew were stumped. Who told Julie? 
And we talked about how the return from tribal deals with the consequence of what happened at tribal. And we saw that play out at the beginning of this episode when they returned to camp. Let's stay with the themes that a playwright like Chekhov might have used if he were writing this Mm. as a play. Because on one side, you have D. And her theme would be, I will kill anyone, even my true love, to protect myself. Right? Mm. You heard her. Yes. She said, I'll swear on my mother. I'll swear on my dogs. I'll do anything. <laughs> then on, on the other side, you have Austin. And his theme would be, I will protect my true love, even if it leads to my own death. Mm. And you saw him say, he said, uh, you know, we need to make sure that they know you didn't tell Julie because I know you didn't, but they might think right. you did. And we know the truth. She told Julie. Yes. So. Maybe what we're learning is this is not Rob and Amber. This is mm. a version of Survivor Theater because you have lying. That's something you do in real life. And then you have pretending, which is something you do in theater. And when you merge those two, you get Survivor acting. Because really, <laughs> and I'm not saying D doesn't have feelings for Austin. I don't know. But D is basically performing in front of a packed house. She is so committed to this character, to this version of herself. That's what sells it. I don't lie at mm-hmm. home, but I will lie to anyone in this game. And that gives her, as you said earlier, Jay, Austin's just living in Dee's world. It gives her a massive right. advantage over Austin. It sounds like a pretty good play for what it's worth. I think I would <laughs> uh, Rick, Jeff brought up lying here, you know, lying what you do in real life. And then the version you do on Survivor, is that a mandatory skill to win this game? That's tricky. Survivor acting, I don't know if it's a mandatory skill because there are so many ways to win the game and then there are even more ways to lose the game and you're kind of handing it to somebody who got there in a different way. But it's obviously a huge plus. I do think to play a great game of Survivor, it's a necessary skill. And the real trick is you just have to be believable. You have to be believable to the people you're working with and to Mm. the people that you're working against. And sometimes it's harder to get people to believe the truth uh, and you're being too mm. earnest. And then you get in your head and, and you have trouble not only lying, but you're getting in your head about delivering the truth. So it can be a very complicated huh. thing. And that's why when someone's really good at it, like D has been up to this point, it stands out. And Julie. Yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, when she says, put your best acting face on, because if you go back to Rob and Amber, they were honest with each other, and that is the bond that helped them get to the end. And Julie and Dee are being honest with each other, and Drew and Austin are being honest with each other. The trick is Dee and Austin are not having a reciprocal <laughs> truth <laughs> exchange, and that's where it's getting really tricky. And we're going to get more into Austin and Dee. Don't worry, folks. I would not leave that behind for too long. <laughs> but before that, I want to talk about idols for a bit. So first thing that morning, the idol was just played. Katora wakes up, goes searching for an idol. I think that makes a lot of sense. Austin and Dee wake up shortly thereafter, and they're like, oh my gosh, how dare she search for an idol? I'm going to go after her (laughs) and get her. Later in the episode, Jake has a similar moment, gets to go search for an idol by himself, takes his clothes off, finds an (laughs) idol. In general, Rick, I want to talk about idol hunting. I know I've asked you before about the decorum, but at this point, I'm completely confused how it actually works and how you get the time to do it. Listen, you saw it right there on the show, and Jeff can 
choose to correct this or not, but the players believe that when an idol's played, that next morning there's going to be an idol around camp. So as far as I'm concerned, Katora is the only one doing the reasonable right thing, getting up as soon as there's enough light to begin searching, to get ahead of the others. So D and Austin, okay, they're a little more secure, so they sleep in a little longer. But then they're after Katora. I have no idea what Jake and Julie are doing. Like, this is almost <laughs> unforgivable to me based on my experiences that you wouldn't be mm. up and hustling and looking because, sure, you might stumble across it, but the early bird gets the worm, Jeff. Well, and Devin's to your question, I'm certainly not going to give anything away that nothing is ever always or permanent on Survivor. <laughs> but yeah, I think there is an implied understanding that if an idol has been played, then another one will be put into the game. It's always situational. What day are we? How many idols are in the game? But to your point, we wouldn't delay it by two and a half days or anything silly like that. I also just want to say on this, what I thought this really illustrated is that there's no set format for how you look for an idol. Mm -hmm. You might have a season where you're able to get out for 20 minutes going to get firewood. You may have a season where you're only able to get out for 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. But players I know have their own ways of like marking territory. I looked <laughs> at the big tree and I looked at the rock underneath the small stream and sooner or later like Jake, you narrow it down and you find it or sometimes Devons, I'm guessing, you just get lucky and the second tree you go to has the idol. I'm guessing that's also the case. I never got lucky. It always took a whole lot of work. <laughs> I was doing that Ubiqui <laughs> method of just, you know, breaking it down into sections. But yeah, you know, sometimes you find it quick and sometimes you take a long, long time out there. And sometimes you're trying yeah. to hide it and sometimes you don't care. <laughs> And sometimes it's in a raft inside a tiny compartment that you will never find. All right, I want to talk about both challenges. Both of them are new. But before we get to that, I want to focus on the first one, the reward challenge. This reward had a lot to it, even though it was seemingly simple. It was a picnic. Right. But it was a picnic that was on a sand spit in the middle of the ocean that you get to be a helicopter. Jeff, talk to us about deciding to put this reward here. Well, almost always, as we've talked about, you want the rewards to escalate so that the deeper you get into the game, the better the reward, the more grand the scale, things like that. And the art department this season, I gotta say, has upped the game again. We had a new crew member join our team, Yanina Starr, and she works with her team, Bertsy, who's Roberta Limjap and Lin Lin, and they're responsible for all of those rewards and the displays and all that. And I felt like they brought a new flourish to the rewards this mm. season. It's very subtle. You might not notice, but I notice. For instance, things like this. The fishing gear reward that comes at the beginning of the season, it came with a hand-drawn manual. Like a beautiful piece of art that shows you mm. the types of fish you can catch or how to catch a fish or how to use the net. It's the kind of thing that a Survivor fan would want sitting on their coffee table, which is why I always want to say, be careful with that. It's, a, you know, it's a piece of art, <laughs> but it's, it's just all of that. There's another level of artistry and you could say, ah, okay, what difference does it really make? It's still the same reward. That's true, but it's the details. And it's the same reason that every part of tribal council is finished because the details matter to us. Okay, so here, essentially, what you're saying is this is the escalation of all escalations. This is likely the last reward of the season. Yep. So this helicopter and going to this sand spit, that's the biggest upgrade you can possibly get. And I think, right, this is the first helicopter reward of the new era. 
oh, I think you're right. I didn't think about that. Yeah, you're right. And we had a really cool helicopter, this this helicopter from Vietnam era. I mean, it was mm. it was a badass machine. <laughs> but I think, you know, I want to remind you that the sanctuary is where our rewards happen. That's why we designed it. It's where good things happen. But this was a special moment. We had 90 minutes. We had this great helicopter. The sand spit, the tides, everything was just working out. So we we thought it was probably Quigley's idea who said, look, I've researched it. We can actually land the helicopter on the sand spit midday and pull this off. And if you don't know what a sand spit is, it's basically a very tiny I'll call it an island, but I mean, it really is really small. And at many points mm. in the day, it's completely consumed by the ocean, so you might not even see it. But for a few hours, there's enough exposed island that you can have a picnic on it. The trick for us in this case was you have to be able to land the helicopter on it. <laughs> and that's Ken Gray. He's been our pilot for over 20 years. He's a master pilot. I've flown many hours with Ken, and he loves moments like this. Ken, by the way, is the same pilot who would evacuate somebody. He's the same pilot we used when we used to shoot those big 39 days, 18 people. <laughs> He's also the guy who picks me up at the airport and delivers me to base camp. But in this case... He landed that bird right on the sand spit and you just saw, I know I said it earlier, but when you see that big shot and you realize they really are the only people on that little island and that little island is literally in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, it just reminds you of the scale of Survivor and the scale of this adventure. Okay, so let's talk about that choice then because Austin wins this once in a lifetime, clearly, once in a lifetime experience and then he gets to make his pick for who to come. Takes about 0.2 seconds for him to choose D. <laughs> but then he's got a real decision on his hands and he ends up choosing Katora. Jeff, you asked him to explain why. It's obviously at this point a mix of both personal and strategic. You gotta make sure that when you're gone, the people you send back are not gonna be the ones who are gonna be, all right, let's talk Austin. Let's get him out now. He didn't pick me. Rick, do you think this is a relatively low risk decision for Austin and does it end up being the right play for him? So, Jay, I love that those are two very different questions because (laughs) nothing is low risk. It's it's probably still a high risk decision for him, but I do think it's the right play. Dee and Austin have been able to disguise how close they are in the game. Apparently, they seem to be disguising this romance from the other players, which is either an amazing job by them or just completely bonkers on the part of the other players not being able to suss Mm -hmm. this out. But now he's picking her so quickly. Like, is this the thing that finally sends up that red flag in other players' heads? On top of that, sure, you're sending Drew, Jake, and Julie back together, and they haven't worked together. They have their issues, but nothing brings folks together like a common enemy, and that (laughs) might be the guy who just didn't pick them for this awesome helicopter reward, the first of the new eras we just talked about. All that being said, Still probably the right move by Austin, even though it comes with these risks, because if you send back Katora and Julie and Jake, you know they're going to be on the same page and looking for a weapon Mm. they can use together and working against you. So risky proposition. That's why sometimes winning rewards, you know, can be as bad as losing rewards. But I think he did the right thing. Mm. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Drew had a big reaction hurling the rice pot. We should talk about how those reactions can impact the game. And let's dive a little deeper into the romantic picnic on the beach for three. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Jay, what's the next moment? I want to start with this Vietnam era helicopter ride. Uh, At the very start of it, the helicopter ride flies right over the tribe beach, (laughs) spitting distance away. Jeff, you mentioned Drew hurling a rice pot into the sand. Yeah. Was this decision explicitly made to rub salt in the wounds? Well, it's not to rub salt in the wounds, although I know it sounds like, oh, come on. But I mean, it is fun and almost mandatory because they're in a <laughs> helicopter and we're we're in a small part of Fiji. They're going to see it anyway. So we might as well just fly right over and blow up some sand in your face. But the bigger reason, it reveals story. How will each group react? So you have two threesomes, basically. You have Julie unconcerned because she's in on the game. She's not worried. Mm -hmm. You have Jake, who's kind of amused because he's still a bit on the outside. And then you have Drew, who is annoyed because that should be me. Mm -hmm. And then on the helicopter, you have Austin and Dee drunk with power. I mean, Austin (laughs) says something like, look at Drew just standing there. (laughs) And we cut to Drew saying, damn, life sure is unfair. Yeah, it's a real Eeyore moment. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You're right. And then there's Katura observing it all. Pure strategy. Yeah, just keep your head in that lover's lane. That's exactly where I want you. So I think that's the bigger reason is we learned a lot from that one flyover. That's so funny. I remember we had a helicopter award on our season and Gavin Whitson, my best buddy, won. Didn't choose to take me, of course. So I go back to camp. I'm going to use my time efficiently. I sneak off to a place really hard to get to and I'm making fake idols where no one can find me. And all of a sudden, the helicopter's flying 20 feet over me. So I'm <laughs> diving for cover, <laughs> trying to get all my supplies so people can't tell what I'm doing. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that old survivor ambush. <laughs> you know, they say to worry about the snakes on Survivor. I guess you should also worry about the helicopters a little bit. Okay, <laughs> the next thing I want to talk through is the reward itself. So there's a shot I can't get out of my head. It's Austin. He's lying back. He's eating cheese. There's Spanish guitar music playing. (laughs) Jeff, to make this moment feel like it's a page out of a romance novel. (laughs) Is that something that was decided afterwards or did it really just come together that way? No, I think it came together that way because our goal is always the same. Tell their stories as authentically as possible. And so you do that by watching them in reality and listening to them in interviews. And in this case, this really did feel like two people growing very fond of each other right in front of our eyes. And I think that is what was happening. So we treated Mm. it that way. We tried to treat it respectfully. 
with some fun, but also some romance because that's still being authentic to each person. Mm. You saw Austin is clearly smitten and it's impacting his decisions. You also saw D. she's clearly smitten, but it is not impacting her decisions. So mm-hmm. that's the authentic story that's happening. Romance is impacting the game. Yeah, on that, Rick, we hear Katora say, I just, I'm happy for them to be in lover's lane and I'm gonna go and win this thing. For me, it was really surprising that she didn't go take that information and start to say, hey, this is a duo, we need to get out. Did you feel that way? Absolutely. I'm shocked that up to this point in the game, nobody has done that. And this has been Mm. the first time we've kind of seen Dee really not do the little things. And she Mm. kind of holds Austin's hand in front of Katora. So now it's blatant. This is not a theory Mm -hmm. anymore. This is happening. So Katora might have her own strategy, but I do think in Survivor, we've Talked about Robin Amber so much this season. They've talked about Robin Amber. That is the biggest, most famous duo in the game. It's a huge threat. And with this few people left, I cannot believe there's not somebody on that island trying to use that, trying to weaponize that to get rid of one mm-hmm. of these big threats in the game. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see what happens because historically, as soon as that handhold occurs, <laughs> a threshold is broken. So I'm looking forward to seeing the finale. I'm saying nothing. I'm staying out of this one. <laughs> yeah, sure. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about two new challenges in this episode. That's rare in the new era. And the tribal council move that could have been. We'll be right back. Welcome back to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. All right, Jay, shall I just break into these challenges? Because we had two new ones. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, so the first one was the reward challenge. And that was a test of balance and agility with a slide puzzle at the end. It was the first time we had Mm -hmm. done it. And I remember Mm -hmm. the day we spent a lot of time with our dream team and the challenge department and our art department trying to figure out how many ropes, how far apart, how difficult should this be this late in the game? Mm. And it's like we talked about uh, in an earlier episode about the sweet spot of something. Mm -hmm. So in this case, if you have more gas in the tank, you will have an advantage. If you're totally out of gas, you may not have a chance. So what you want is right in the middle. And I loved when Julie said in the middle of the challenge, this is awesome. Because, Mm. you know, we're invested as well. And we love hearing that, that Even in the middle, not even the middle, late in the game, a million-dollar game, you still have a player who appreciates the fun of this. Yeah, I mean, when you get out there and you're in the middle of these things, having the big playground, even with all that pressure on a beautiful day in Fiji, sometimes you're just, like, overwhelmed by how cool this is. Yeah, because there are challenges that are built for you. And we tear Mm. them down the minute we're done. And I try to remind the players, we've been out here for months for you. So enjoy it. And I like that Julie enjoyed it. As for the immunity challenge, what's interesting about that is it's a very static challenge, but it still Mm -hmm. had great drama. So that's all in how you shoot it and how you edit it. And that starts with the coverage, the camera coverage of a challenge. Dave Dryden is our director. He has been with us since season two, a long Mm. time. Wow. And he directs all of our challenges and tribal. So when he's directing a challenge, 
There are no monitors. And I think you imagine like there's a big bank of monitors and he's looking at all the shots. Zero monitors. Crazy. He is outstanding. He's standing in the middle of this war field and he's just calling shots to the shooters. So what you have is you have a big team and some people are on really long lenses. Some people are on wide angle. We might have a big camera up in the air. We've got the drones. But Dryden can talk to them based on what he's seeing happening. Oh, that player's struggling with the knots. You know, that tribe's got a problem over there. But you also have all of our shooters. And a lot mm. of these people have been here for years and their sense of story is so good. And that that's something that you can't teach. Right. You just have to experience it. You have to be in the middle of this so many times that you start to just know, oh, now is when I should pan over to include this person. Yep, I was right. Something's happening. Or now's when I should push into the hands working on the knots. Yep, I was right. They're struggling. So these aren't random decisions, but they're also not decisions that you write down beforehand. They are informed choices in the moment. And then when you get in the edit bay, our editors come in and they look at it with fresh eyes and go, whoa, I see how to tell this story of this challenge. Mm. Another fun tidbit here was that you took the castaways inside production too, and you told them how long the dream team lasted <laughs> on this challenge. We know that was funny. That was a little bit of, of coach probes being both <laughs> encouraging and also challenging. And I like that we've been on long enough that a lot of our fans know about the dream team. Certainly not everybody, but enough that I think mm. it makes it fun to include and it, and it inspired the players to break that record. Yeah. And then at the end, they couldn't walk away from yeah. the challenge at all. I mean, it speaks to just the wear and tear in your body. Rick, did you have any moments that were similar to that? You know, there are obvious ones like day 22 or 23, I want to say. We had the torture chamber challenge, which literally puts you <laughs> in a squatting position, yeah. back mm. bent, thighs burning for as long as you can last until, you know, you mess up the balance and your torch goes out, your flame goes out. That one, I ended up getting third on best I did on an endurance challenge. And I was unable to walk off my platform. You feel it the whole mm. day. But there are ones that aren't that obvious that hurt you just as much. I remember late in the game, the family visit. All we're doing is running up and down this slight slope on the beach to gather water from the ocean. And it killed me late in the game because you're running on fumes. You've been sleeping on the ground in bamboo. I mean, your body's broken at this point. So even little challenges will leave you limping mm -hmm. back to camp. You reminded me of the moment with Aris in his season. We, I think we must have done like a second chance challenge where we either took elements from previous challenges together or we re-ran an entire challenge. But I remember him looking at the start of it and it was pretty, pretty significant, pretty formidable. And I asked him what he was thinking and he said, I was just remembering that on day one when we did this, I had so much energy. That wall I have to climb up looked like nothing. And today on day whatever, 31, he goes, I don't even know if I can get up it. That's the reminder, survivor is real. And the deprivation of everything has a cumulative effect. And if you last long mm -hmm. in the game, you are going to be diminished. That's part of the design. And I got to say, just small callback to what you said about the dream teamers and wanting to beat the dream teamers. 
we castaways know those are fully fueled. They've been eating, they've been sleeping. <laughs> right. So if we can beat them, that means something. We feel pretty good about ourselves. All right, let's talk about the last moment of the episode, the blind side of Drew. We saw a lot of plans and I want to stay on the theme of the episode, acting, the gun acting. that's going to go off in the third act. Exactly. So let me run through it. Jake, he wants a 3-3 vote. Again, going to trust Katura. Another poetic turn of the plan he tried to craft with Caleb yep. that failed. We just got to call this the Jake from now on. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's the Jake in the future, folks. <laughs> Julie was acting like Jake was the one who had the plan to vote for Drew. D was acting like she was in on the plan to vote for Julie. <laughs> this is good. And Katora was acting like Jake <laughs> was the mastermind, but then on the side conspiring with D. And then you have Austin and Drew walking down the beach, talking about how they are the greatest <laughs> duo ever to play the game. <laughs> Rick, if you find yourself walking down the wow. beach two hours from tribal, talking about how you're the greatest duo ever to play the game, should you be looking for the knife in the back? Well done, Jay. Wow. Yeah, Jeff, Jay has his thumb on the game. I think we there might be an experiment here putting Jay out on the island one of these days. <laughs> um, I don't think so. Yeah, Jay, pride comes before the fall. I think anytime you're riding high, especially this high, this self-congratulatory, mm. you got to watch out. You have to understand it's a big island when you're looking for idols, but socially very small island. You're around these people all the time. They can read you so they know if you're feeling yourself. They know if you really feel like you're getting it done. And then they're either talking to each other and going, wow, they're so out of the game. They think they're a big threat when they're actually nothing. Let's take them to the end. Or in this case, mm -hmm. they see what you see, that you are playing a very big game, that you are stronger together as a duo. And you know, while you're over here being cocky, they're probably hatching plans, as we saw here, to get one of you out. Hubris has killed more Survivor players than probably <laughs> any other quality. Well, I just want to end where we started with the gun in the first act <laughs> that's supposed to go off in the third. So Austin has this opportunity to bring out this amulet and he tells the story to the jury and he's saying, I found this so long ago and Jay was voted out and it was a steal of vote and now Kelly's voted out and this is a full idol and we're waiting for the gun to go off and then he says, I'm playing it for myself. And it has no effect. Rick? Yeah, says you. <laughs> but Austin lives to see another day. And it's real easy sitting at home, knowing all the information to say he should have done something right. clever. You know, he should have made a splash with that idol. But if you're Austin out there, you saw Kelly go home. Yep. You saw Bruce go home. Sometimes the right move is the safe, non-splashy move. Good call. Mm. Jeff, any last thoughts on Drew? Uh, Drew, yeah. Drew was on the show the minute I met him. I, I remember talking to him. Super bright, great storyteller, funny sense of humor, great array of literary references. One <laughs> totally. of my favorites was when he talked about the sword of Damocles, that the, the idea that those in power live under the fear of death. I really like that. Um, I did pull up my notes, as I always do, on oh, nice. meeting players for the first time. Here's what I wrote about Drew after we talked on FaceTime. Love, 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 love him! Exclamation point. He's funny, so charming. Kids will get him and love him. Great storyteller, <laughs> fantastic sense of humor. And then he had said, there's Drew and there's Basile, mm. which is his last name. And he said, Basile, you bring out 
for the life of the party. He creates instant social connections. He's outward. He's fun. Then he said, Drew is the person you bring out when you want to deepen those connections with the people you met at the party. So even just that sense of self and that he could split himself down the middle, I thought was really interesting. And I'm really glad he was on the show. I thought he contributed a ton this season. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun to watch. All right, let's get into some fan questions. And as a reminder, if you have a question for Jeff, you can email us at survivorshoutout at cbs.com. And I will read those questions, maybe even read them here. The first one comes from Josh. He writes... Jeff, when a new mechanic is introduced, such as altering how votes work or new advantages, what's the process to ensure it meshes well with existing Mm. rules? Well, that is, Josh, the exact question you have to ask. How does it work with the existing game? So you basically just walk through every scenario of the game, and at each stage, you imagine you're a player and you ask yourself, how would I use this? How could this help me? How could this backfire on me? How could I lie about this and create confusion or chaos? What happens if a player tells nobody? What will happen in the game? What if a player tells everybody? So you're basically just trying to imagine every scenario. And we often have creative ideas. And once we put them through this process, we realize they won't work because of that Mm. exact question. It doesn't mesh with the game. And so the answer is you have to be really thoughtful. You have to do everything you can think of to ensure it's ready for the game. And if it's not, you don't use it. All right, the next question is from Roy, and it's a question for Rick. He writes, Rick, what's it like watching your season on TV as a contestant? How surprised are you at what you view on TV from your home, or do you pretty much know what to expect? Do you gather around with family and friends for each episode and have a big party, or is your viewing more subdued with just you and your immediate family? Wow, you got into a lot of things there, Roy. I'll try to break it down a little bit. It's <laughs> You're constantly getting little surprises as you watch this season. You usually know the big notes, right? Who goes home, when the rewards are. Sometimes you think something's going to be in there, and it's not. I remember I thought watching an episode that they would show me making my first fake idol, and it got to the end of the episode, and they didn't show it, and I was like, wow, I'm surprised they didn't show that. They're going to need that, right? Well, three episodes later, they had a flashback. This was 14 days ago, and I'm going, wow, they just blew my mind. So you, you do run all the gamuts, but the best way to watch it is just home with your family or alone, digest it, and then you can kind of reach out with text messages going, hey, you never mentioned to me that you uh, went and talked to Wardog and tried to betray me, you know, those little things. <laughs> all right. We have a third question now from Brendan in preparation for next episode. The final episode. Hey, guys, can you lie at Final Tribal? Here's the scenario. I give Jeff an idol to play for himself with five players left in the game. No one knows I had an idol. I have immunity and use the idol to save Jeff and vote out Devins, who I believe would beat me. Jeff then makes his final three case saying he orchestrated the vote out of Devins by playing his idol. The only one who knows it was my idol is Jeff. And he's claiming it was his. So begs the question, can you lie at Final Tribal and get away with it? Or is there a rule against it? Would be wild if someone won like this. Well, we've been talking about it the whole episode. Yes, absolutely. Lying is often a part of Survivor. I will say, Brendan, I don't think this dilemma is that difficult. I mean, this is what happens. You explain and the jury asks for more information and they're the detectives and you're sort of on the witness stand and you have to be able to present your case. So if you struggle to present the truth, you're not going to win this game. But yes, people lie. 
They also do something else that's not quite a lie. It's a version of the truth that they think happened because they're looking at a situation through their lens. And Devin's, I know this happens all the time, which is you think you're responsible for the vote. I think I'm responsible for the vote. Neither one of us are really lying. We just both believe we were the ones who persuaded and made it happen. And I think that's ultimately why Survivor can be frustrating is because We, the producers, have all the information, and we typically know things that the players don't know, which is why somebody doesn't get full credit, because we saw what really happened. But no matter how you play Survivor, whether you lie, whether you play it straight, you have to, as we've talked about in this episode, be able to be persuasive and believable in that persuasion, or you have no shot. All right, that's it. Episode 12, Survivor 45, next week, the season finale. Of Survivor 45. (laughs) All right, so Devins, from a player's point of view, give us the lowdown of the final five. I mean, we are here, and it seems to me that D and Austin are in that power position, and that means nothing if you can't get to the final three and plead your case. Julie's kind of been back and forth. Can she get rid of people that have put together a better resume than her? And Mm. then you have Jake and Katura. They've been on the bottom the whole time. This is their last opportunity to get rid of the big threats, make some big Uh moves, and make their case for being the winners of season 45. How about you, Jay? From the fan point of view, what are you hoping for? What do you think is going to happen? Well, I think I've I've lost hope on my showmance, unfortunately. I do think that uh, oh, no. once Austin finds out that he was fibbed to, it may <laughs> not last as, as long as we had hoped. Um, but I do, I am interested to see if that division does drive a wedge between the two of them and if it ends up affecting what the final three that they thought was going to happen ends up happening. The other thing that I heard in tonight's episode that I just can't stop thinking of is Jake saying, I'm a wolf in goat's Mm. clothing. (laughs) And what do you mean by that? Is that a clue? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's my question. Is that something that I should be thinking about? I mean, a goat typically gets brought to final tribal. And if there's a wolf instead of a goat, you never know what could go down. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens there. All right. I'm excited. It's next Wednesday night, 8, 7 central on CBS and Paramount Plus. And immediately following the finale, right here, We will have the first interview, Jay, with the winner of Survivor 45. We'll get their thoughts on the entire season and what it's like to watch it all play out. I cannot wait. Please make sure to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can watch Survivor and more on Paramount+. Plus. Subscribe at ParamountPlus.com and use the code SURVIVOR45 by December 20th, 2023. That's soon. And get your first month of Paramount Plus on us. Must be age of majority to subscribe. U.S. only payment method required. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. 
old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 